0: Good morning. I am Patrick Boatwright, our pastor, student, and family. And uh, this is the bait in my J, Catherine. Uh, and this is Baby James. You can call him Sweets. Uh, he joined our family two weeks ago through adoption. Uh, yeah, just in time to uh, give me free lunch at uh, Dallas Barbecue today. So, <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We have uh, been entrusted with the privilege and the honor of honoring our fathers today. And I was saying, you know, in the last few weeks that we've had him, uh, I feel like the Lord has really given me all the insights and secrets into fatherhood. Uh, and yet, through the sheer exhaustion, I've forgotten all of them. So hopefully, as they come back to me, I'll be able to share them in future sermons. But then I frantically searched the scriptures for wisdom, for what it meant to be a father, and what fatherhood looked like. And uh, you, you may know there's not some tight, concise rundown of fatherhood. There isn't some list of do's and don'ts in the Bible. But there is something that I found, which is a simple theme And whether that was in Ephesians to Proverbs or Genesis uh, to 3 John, um, the prevailing narrative of fathers who are as one who regarded, who trained their children in righteousness, who gave instruction. The prevailing call of fatherhood in Scripture is living out the way of the Father in a dedicated way that allowed those who are entrusted to us to know him and what he's like. And that can seem like a really daunting call if we confuse revealing the Father to being the Father. Uh, But in reality, that just means we are willing to seek our family's welfare like Noah, that we are willing to fully obey like Abraham, that we're willing to confess our failures like David, to honor our partners like Joseph, and to be secure enough to cry like Jesus. And God will take care of the rest. And if that still seems too tall of a task, the beauty is that the last part is the most important part, that God equips those who he calls and if we surrender to him he equips us for to be the fathers that he needs and so it's really cool that that's also not a solo exercise and so the beauty about this community is that we have amazing groups whether it's dad groups who meet on Thursday or men's prayer that happens throughout the week there are pockets of men around this community who are seeking to know God together and to make him known Uh, and so I challenge you whether you're a dad or want to be a dad or just a guy, um, to connect and and start that training up of righteousness. Uh, So lastly, I would be remiss not to acknowledge that this day for some, it's a sad day, Uh, and whether that's through the passing of our fathers or the failures of our fathers, um, whether that's through our inability or our struggle to become fathers, uh, and a myriad of other reasons, both big and small, Uh, we just want to acknowledge that, and to you we say we join our hearts And we pray for shalom. And so now uh, Catherine's going to uh, speak a prayer over our fathers and uh, read our teaching text.
1: All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we never forget what an honor it is to call you Abba, Father, to be considered sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. Today we come before you on behalf of those that you have called into fatherhood, whether by blood, by marriage, by adoption, or through the family of God, we have so many fathers among us today, Lord. We pray an abundance of blessing and protection over all of our fathers. I pray that they would seek you first, not the idols of wealth, career, or status, but only you and your kingdom. Give them peace to know that despite the choices their children make, that you have them in the palm of their hands and love them way more than we ever could. Lord God, I pray that you would give every father in this room a yearning for your word and your kingdom, a heart to love boldly, an abundance of grace to forgive freely, that their child may have an intimate example of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And for those that are without fathers, have lost their fathers, or have a deep desire to become a father, this day can be one of mourning and loss. And for those, Lord, we pray that you would be their comfort, their peace, and bring shalom into this area of their life. And help them to see that they have a Heavenly Father that loves them so very, very much as far as the East is from the West and will never forsake them. Let that ring true in each one of our hearts today. Thank you, Lord, for all of our fathers and the blessing they are in our lives. Amen. And now for today's teaching text. Romans 8, 10 to 17. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin... The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Amen. How about one more time for James Sweets? Already a beautiful morning. So last week we marked and celebrated the events of Pentecost, uh, this moment where the Holy Spirit is poured out in Jerusalem amongst those first followers of Jesus, and uh, the church is, is born, and it begins to, to grow and to spread in these pockets of community, people taking care of one another, people Living out this new reality of the kingdom of God that Jesus had described, had demonstrated had, had invited us to embrace and, and, and come into uh, we, we talked last week about um, as you sort of track the arc of the scriptures, you see that Pentecost is a is a culmination moment in the story of God and what God has been doing across the, the, the whole the whole movement of the scriptures and we sort of traced that journey a little bit last week so we could Appreciate God, seeing God's heart represented in what ha- it happens in Jerusalem on that, on that day of Pentecost. And we're not going to take the time to go back through that. Um, if you would like to hear it, it's in, it's in last week's message. Um, and, and next week, we're going to actually return to that uh, Acts 2 narrative again. But this week, um, on Father's Day, with the beauty of, of just having celebrated baptism, um, I wanted us to see a little bit... Um, of how those early Christians came to understand the experience that happened to them uh, on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and they were they were filled with this new uh, you know like energy electricity life like it's almost like how do you even describe the very presence of God coming crashing into your life and and what they experienced is like parts of it were you know you know, like sort of accelerated, beautiful realities that we're very familiar with. And then some of it was like, I have no framework for like f- tongues of fire speaking in other languages. It's like, I don't know. This is like, it, it, pushes, it pushes me to you know, spaces of b- being a little uncomfortable. And uh, so we want to we look at, at how they came to understand uh, their experience at Pentecost. And, and one of the ways I think if you look through the, the testimony of the New Testament, Romans 8 is one of the most uh, powerful and helpful places for understanding what, what life with the Holy Spirit filling you actually looks like. And um, so we're gonna, we're gonna just spend a little bit of time on that this morning. Uh, one of my strongest memories that I have with my dad in the last decade that he was alive um, is he wanted to get us both certified at the same time to scuba dive. It was something that he had done uh, as, as a kid and a young man and he wanted us to do it together. And my dad was like, and I have inherited this, he's very much like a fad or kick type of person, like you could go in our garage and sort of track the different things that he'd been into, it's like fishing rods that haven't been touched, golf clubs that have not been used, like, um, uh, like re- strangely expensive remote control cars that were like as fast as real cars, like um, bizarre stuff. And one of them was scuba, we had all this scuba gear in, in one section of our garage, and um, so we're required when you're getting certified, PADI certified to, to, to scuba dive, if you've done it, um, you have to take a bunch of classroom hours first where you sit down and they sort of explain to you how, how it all works. Because basically you're trying to survive and explore in an environment where you do not belong. <laughs> and where if you don't follow some pretty specific instructions, you will die or you will get seriously, seriously hurt. So in, in order to understand how to safely explore the underwater world with a, Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, or scuba, um, you have to have some essential knowledge, right? You have to know how how like how the pieces of the of the equipment fit together, how they actually work, how to work them safely, how how slow you need to go down to not like have your head explode. Um, you know what sort of things to remember at different stages of the dive. Uh, what do you do if this occurs? Like if you suddenly lose your your tank goes goes out here's what you do you breathe from the other persons for a little while and you go up um uh, that's just a little free advice if you find yourself scuba diving um what type of wildlife are you going to see down there but and of course this would be true right the hours of sitting there taking notes and seeing slides in a class was very very different from actually going and getting in the water for the first time and and like submerging below the surface and be like I'm Like, this is something, this is something else, right? The knowledge does begin to kick in. You're like, oh yeah, I need to go down just this, this, this speed. I need to adjust things so that I don't go down too fast. But all of a sudden, like, I need to clear my nose so my sinuses don't explode. But then all of a sudden you're, you're underwater and you're like, I'm really doing this. I'm living this experience that seemed impossible to me or, or like I would have had no idea what I was doing. Um, But but now, now I'm actually, I'm actually experiencing. I remember the first time I ever descended to 80 feet and I was like, sort of like trying to remember all the things and do all the things and then I finally like get down and I literally look up and there was a grouper that was like this big it opens its mouth and I could have fit inside of it like a huge fish And I was just like I don't know if I want to be down here um, <laughs> I do not like that you're bigger than me um, but and then they, they were like I remember like the teaching about the barracuda and they're like they like shiny things and their teeth are like razors and like on my first dive there was a barracuda that just like followed me Just like sort of mocking. I don't know what that was about. Anyway, I'm just getting some of this out for you. Um, The New Testament has exactly that. It has accounts that are like, here's what you can expect when the Holy Spirit comes. But then it has other, like the Acts type accounts where people are just being like plunged into the middle of it, like they're put in this world that they had no real framework for, they're, all, they're immersed in it, and we actually need both. Right? We need to know, here's what you can come to expect when the Holy Spirit shows up, and then we actually need to, to plunge in the water. We need to say, uh, we're, we're, we're gonna take some steps, we're gonna take some risks, we're gonna go out and actually, and actually try this. We, we thoroughly need both. What on earth is it like for God's actual spirit to fill our actual lives? And I, I just can't, I can't commend uh, Romans 8 to you enough it's so helpful in this regard. In just a short section that we just had read for us, um, it tells us that the Holy Spirit does four things that we're gonna mention. There's others we're gonna mention four, but um, the Holy Spirit brings life to your body. Let me just think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit brings life to your body. The Holy Spirit gives us a way to change confirms our adoption into the family of God and secures our inheritance for us. So we're just gonna cover those four things. It's gonna be a good Father's Day if we can, if we can do it quickly. Um, brings life to your body, gives us a way to change, con- confirms our adoption into the family of God and secures an inheritance for us. So first, let's look. At the Holy Spirit gives life to your body. The way the passage actually says it is, and the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who, he who raised Christ from the dead also gives life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I skipped over a very important if there. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, right? So the very same spirit that filled Jesus. Remember the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Like he lived, like it's wild to think about the fact that all these prophecies of Jesus' life, the Messiah coming to be the 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 Messiah of Israel, the rescuer of the world, the bringer of God's salvation. And for 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived and worked in, in basically complete obscurity. That is, is has some implications that we're not gonna get into right now, but I did wanna note it. Um, th- think about the reality and then When it comes time for Jesus to begin his public ministry, he goes to John the Baptist, who's sort of acting as this forerunner prophet, and John baptizes him, and in that moment, a big to-do is made, right? It could have been like Jesus was quietly praying, and and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he told some people about it later. No, like a big to-do, a bunch of symbolism was around the fact that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then everything that follows what Jesus does is Jesus living the complete and full life of the Spirit in in human form. Like There's a lot to be said about Jesus being born and and him being fully human and yet not dealing with sin in the same way that we have, and yet he is filled with the Spirit to live a life that we can actually live as well. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will do what? Give life to your mortal bodies. So, i try say this in the simplest way that I, I, I can think to. When the Holy Spirit comes to take an active role in our lives through we've been united to Jesus, trusting the gospel, it brings a way of living that is completely, it is, it, is, it is fundamentally, there are certainly some similarities, but there's a fundamental difference to it from the life the way we have experienced it before. The Spirit makes us alive in a new way. That sort of phrase, like to be born again, however weird or strange that sounds to you is like, Kind of a term with a bunch of baggage, but that's how Jesus described it. Like when the Spirit of God comes to fill you, there's like you, you're, you're going to fall short if you use any kind of metaphor other than like you're you're totally alive in a new way. You're 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 filled with the Spirit. We live in, in our in our country, in our culture, in the West, in in America. One of the most prominent uh, myths of our time is that everything you need for life is within you. Like, you see that, that that myth portrayed all the time in, all, in the stories that we come back to over and over again, in, 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 in Disney movies, in fitness inspiration, in, in political rhetoric. What we need most for life or for change or for overcoming is within us. Basically, like, we just need to do the certain number of things that will unlock our potential, but we have everything we need within us. And, and what happens when a myth like that gains a certain amount of cultural power is that it becomes the unchallenged thinking behind our minds. And so we start to, whether or not we would have evaluated it critically in the Disney movie or in the fitness inspiration commercial, like we start to think, yeah, I have all the resources that I need within me. But is that true? Is that true that everything that you need for a full life or, or, or for transformation at a crucial juncture of life, that you have that within you? The account of the Scriptures is actually um, that the normal, natural state uh, of the world since what happens in Genesis 3, there's this account in Genesis 3 where there's a fragmenting and a disconnection that takes place in our relationship with God. And that disconnection from Yahweh actually ripples through all of our world, our understanding of ourselves, how we relate to one another, how we work, how we how we do everything. And actually, that our natural, normal state is not that we're just like, we, we have it all within us, and it's actually that there's a brokenness that has rippled through our identity, our understanding of one another, how we, how, how we, how we even engage in love, how we do anything has been, has been fundamentally broken and fragmented and disconnected. And so, however, we, like, after you get past the surface level nobility of the myth, which is everything that you have, you, everything you need you have within you, doesn't that sound great, that sounds fantastic. And if you're missing a little bit, just buy this or go through this program and it'll unlock it for you. Like We're, we're like primed to be sold some fantastic things if we believe that. But the reality is that the scripture is saying that, that we're not that way at all. Actually, that we need outside help in the most profound way. And I think once you get past the, the surface level nobility of that, that myth that you have everything you need within you, you kind of see that it's sort of a, uh, the, the, you play it out. And it's actually a very lonely and selfish way to live. The devastation of Genesis three, whatever else you think about that, that, that account, is that it's saying that losing our holistic connection to God, that we experience brokenness in every area of our life and our inner resources are not containing everything that we need, that we actually need outside help, that we need a repair to our sense of identity, that we, we go through life trying to get a name for ourselves, trying to be names, trying to have other people tell us who we are on, so, on some level. Our whole way of being in the world was, was fractured in the devastation of Genesis three and all the inheritance of that. The, I mean, we're talking around it. The imagery that's described there is so profound. It says that we've experienced a spiritual death. That you can be alive, like this is, this is, whatever the Adam and Eve story is about, at least one of the things is that they were still alive physically doing a bunch of the same things they'd been doing before, but that a disconnection had taken place and they were spiritually dead. That makes it really profound that one of the things it says the Holy Spirit does is give life in a new way to your mortal bodies. And it is the ultimate culmination of that repair work of the gospel to call you back to life in a new way. This is, this is the resurrection of Jesus coming to bear in, in your individual life. I'll say it to you one more time. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So we're reanimated as sons and daughters of God as we believe the gospel. We become fully spiritually alive as we trust in Jesus, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, our, this is who we are as, as a community. So look at what comes next. The very next thing, therefore, because of that, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to live... A, a, Live according to the flesh. To, to, it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So the first thing we saw is that it gives, the Holy Spirit comes and gives life to our mortal bodies. That's what they were experiencing on Pentecost. That's what rippled all, across the, the Roman Empire was these people coming to life in a new way by believing this, this message and, and believing in the person of Jesus. And, and then they were given a way to change. So there's this life-giving change that occurs. And it's important to note, right? Even at Pentecost, the way it looked in each individual life was a little bit different. Like not everyone prayed in a language that they hadn't studied. Not everyone wept. Not everyone laughed. Not everyone experienced it exactly the same way. But there was a profound impact in each person's life that was was filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's what didn't happen, (laughs) It wasn't like all of the patterns and all the behaviors and all of the thought processes and all the addictions and pains or, or all of it went away in one day, right? There's this breakthrough transformation that takes place and then there's an ongoing way of change. And one of the key parts of the process of that change is described here. Pay attention to this language. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, it's not to the flesh. We've said this so many times. That Greek word "sarks" there, doesn't mean skin, like it doesn't mean just the flesh of your skin, and it doesn't mean like just sexual sin. It means a way of operating in the world without taking God into account. So when when you see the word flesh, we're not just talking about skin, we're not talking about sexual sin, we're talking, or only about sexual sin, we're talking about any way of living that doesn't take God into account. Our obligation is not to that way, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So basically, you've been made alive, and now this is how you this is how you live. So I, I want you to consider that that language for just a few minutes because it's pretty rich. The the misdeeds of the body, like when I see misdeeds of the body, I sort of think of like you know like a cartoon person like st- stealing you know valuables or, or punching someone in the face. Like the misdeeds of the body, though, are are, are just the results of that flesh life. It's the result of the life that doesn't take God into account. And so there's, I I think that you could introduce a couple of stages of how this works. Like how does the spirit really actually engage with someone who has an entire framework for 12 years or, or 30 years or 40, 50 years that they've lived without taking God into account and now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's come crashing into their life but they have all this way of living, the misdeeds of their body are so ingrained, their habits, their habits of mind and habits of action, right? How do you go about seeing the Holy Spirit confront and change those? Because it says in there, if by the Spirit, right? And the, and the alternative way that you would change is, is just to try to ramp up your willpower, and to, to go about a, a program of self-help to change, right? And, and what happens is, it, let's say you're successful in that. Now you got a whole other problem, which is pride that has to be rooted out. Like, but if you, can, if you can change by the Spirit, you can do it in step with God in a way that actually makes you more and more humble, more and more gracious, more and more actually like Christ as you go. So a couple of stages I was thinking about. Like, like there were things before I came to faith in Christ, before I had the Holy Spirit in my life, I had no idea to even put them in the category of wrong. They were just how everyone that I knew lived. This is what you do. And so one, like, as I'm going through my life, like, the Holy Spirit comes in, and then I started, to th- I started to think about some of the things I was doing in my life a little bit differently. So one of the ways the Holy Spirit confronts the misdeeds of the body is gives you perspective. Like, pay attention when the Spirit of God speaks to your conscience. <laughs> Don't ignore that, that's very important, and begins to say, hey, maybe this isn't the way of life anymore for you maybe this isn't this isn't fullness or wholeness or truth and so there's there's perspectives that's kind of like stage one the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to give us perspective there's an entirely new way to live maybe I shouldn't live this any way, way anymore. The second is I, I think this this is wrong or harmful like this way of thinking is not the best or this way of acting is not the best but I, I but I don't want to stop right so the Holy Spirit in stage one gives you perspective, but then as you go along you're like yeah, maybe it is wrong, but I don't really want to stop yet. Like, I'm so used to this. This is how I cope with my anxiety. This is how I get ahead in my career. This is how I engage with people. So what do you need then? You need willingness. So you can even pray for willingness. God, I, I know that this isn't the way of life for me anymore, but I need your help. Like, I want to pray, but I just can't seem to do it. I need, I need you to give me the gift of willingness. Help me to want you. I need a new motivation structure in, in my heart. So that's another way the Holy Spirit confronts the misdeeds of of, of our life. The, The third one is, I think this is wrong or harmful, but I can't stop. Like, before it's like, I don't want to. Now it's like, there are certain behaviors, right? Certain, like, um, you know, anxiety or, 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 or depression or, or, or addiction to a substance or just a way of, of constantly talking about people in a certain way. Like there's certain insidious things that get into our life and, and you're like, I, I think this is wrong or harmful, but I can't stop. And what do you need then from the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Breakthrough. I, I need rescue, right? Like you, you come to the point where you're like, I throw up my hands. I realize my willpower is not enough to, to bring the substantial and holistic change that I need. And so I'm saying, Holy Spirit, will you come and apply the victory of Jesus, apply the resurrection to my life in a way that I can break through from this and then there's, once you, once like, like, we have this circle that we talk a lot about here at Trinity Grace, like, breakthrough and then habits, right? God gives you breakthrough at times. Like, people experience, like, advanced, accelerated freedom, a, a new realization, a new, a new sense of the presence of God, a new sense of joy. Maybe they come to know a new spiritual gift. But then you also have to accompany that with a new set of habits, right? And, and to go along with the new ground God has given you. In your life. And so, learning to live by the Spirit instead of this old way of the flesh and the misdeeds of the body is like being sustained. <laughs> so, the, like, there is really a process of transformation, a way of change that, that comes to take root in our life. The Spirit gives you perspective, the Spirit can give you willingness where it didn't exist before. The Spirit can, can uh, help bring breakthrough and literally like, take you past something that you were stuck at. The, the, the Spirit can then be the sustaining daily grace in your life. We're given new life, but we're also given this way to change. And it's not all happening in one single moment. And so what we have to remember over and over again is because what you'll start to think is when you're stuck at a breakthrough moment and it's not happening, or you know there's something that needs to change, but you just like don't really want to do it, the thing that you'll start to forget is your adoption. But just how we need that, how we need that sense of adoption every single day. It says that the Spirit testifies. This is one of the only places where it sort of makes a distinction between, like, once the Spirit has come into our life, but that that our Spirit's still there. Like, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. It applies the adoption that God has given us. I'll just read you this next part. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, "Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god 's children for israel this this was this story took place in the Exodus, right God had called them right all the way back with Abraham, a person who became a family who became a nation, but then they grew up in slavery and when 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 God begins to 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 work with Israel in bringing his salvation into the world, He calls them out of the slave and uh, there's so many echoes of the Exodus story in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. But we, we get to how it actually comes crashing into our lives is we have to remember that this is the same God who called us to new life, who brings life to your mortal bodies, who's, who's inviting you and walking you through a pattern of change at each of those stages that we just mentioned. And one of the things he wants to affirm to you over and over again because you might forget is that you're adopted into the family. Now, right, you might have a kid biologically and, like, you know, like, maybe it was an accident or whatever. Like, a lot of times it's a, (laughs) whatever, you know how it works. A lot of times, though, it's total joy, right? But, like, think about Patrick and Catherine up there. Like, it's Father's Day. They're celebrating their first, (laughs) people are chuckling, okay, relax. People are, they're celebrating their first, like, Father's Day with this child that they chose. (laughs) They said, "We, we wanna make space in our family for you. We, we see you where you are. We want to bring you into our family. We want to show you so much love. We, we want, to, we want to, to give you a name. We want to give you a, a pet name. We want to give you a nickname. We want to give you a place. We want to give you toys. We want to give you community. We want to give you everything that you need. We literally want to fill your sails up and send you out into this world. And, and as beautiful and powerful as that is, and we have to, we have to see it in, in James's life and celebrate it and support them, but at the same time you need to know that's what God did to you. He said, "I see you, I know you, I choose you, I draw you in, I embrace you. My Spirit, what I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God into the world to do? Testify with your spirit that your family. To testify with your spirit that your family." there's this power in the back and forth mutual testimony that's happening in this. Like we're saying, like we're, cry, we're crying Abba Father and he's, he's crying, you're my kids. Like the Spirit's crying over you, like your name and your nickname and your, and your pet name. And like, actually it says in Revelation like that there's a name that he's given you that nobody even knows yet. <laughs> Like, it's going to be revealed. There's like the secret you, the full you, that's like, you know, being like we're going from glory to glory. We're peeling it off as we go along. But there's a name coming where he's going to be like, boom, sweet baby James. And you're just going to be like, oh, that is me. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to happen. I think. But there's this mutual testimony back and forth where we're crying, Abba, Father, because the Spirit's crying, you're my children. You're in, you're adopted. And you know what you have to do to be adopted? Nothing. You just have to receive it. You just have to be taken and embraced. Now there's a whole life of being in the family that comes after that. Like James is gonna learn to be at home in the boat right? He's gonna become a boat right over time, right? What happens for us though is that many of us, we weren't adopted when we were newborns. We were adopted, we came to know we were adopted when we were like 18 or 30 or 50 and we had such an ingrained pattern of living in another family. (laughs) And so the the family of the world, the family of selfishness, the family of of, of I'm my own God, the family with all those other frameworks, this family of I believe this myth that I just have everything I need within myself and I'm fantastic. Like, you are fantastic, but for different reasons. Because you're made in the image of God, because he is going to redeem you, because he knows your secret name, because he's bringing you all the way into the family. But that adoption, like, we have to remind ourselves of it because what happens to us is we begin to forget, that we really are family, we begin to forget that we really are in, and then because it's not because of our achievement, but because of Jesus's achievement. So you're never gonna get you're never gonna get to the place where God was like, man, I didn't know you were gonna mess up that much, and Jesus's you know life and death didn't really cover some of this. Like that's never going to happen. Think about that. You, like we say this a lot: you're not go, as good at sinning as Jesus is at redeeming. You're not as good at breaking things as Jesus is at fixing them. So you're never going to get to the place where he's like, I don't adopt you anymore. I unadopt you. Nope. If we're united to Christ, then the Spirit has been deposited into our life. And we're to pray that we'd be regularly present, perfect tense, filled with that Spirit, filled with a sense of our adoption, so we can live this way of change together. This is a Father's Day passage, if there ever was one. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The last thing I wanna mention, because it's the last thing in this little section, is inheritance. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I just want you to, to walk out of here on this Father's Day knowing that if, you have, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that God sees you the way he sees Jesus as a co-heir with Christ, <laughs> On the Alpha weekend, one of one of our, our guys who's like been fantastic at raising really honest questions along the way, like we're having a discussion and thinking like everything's chummy and like this Christian propaganda video that we just watched is really working out. And, and then he's like, yeah, but what about the crap in the world? What about the suffering? What about the brokenness? And like asking the real Alpha type questions, like where's God in my pain? Where's God in the death of my family member? Where's God in this abuse situation? Where's God in this famine? Like th- those types of things. He's like, I hear you guys talking about the Holy Spirit and, and you've rented this house and it all looks nice and thank you for breakfast, but it seems like you're only talking about the benefits. (laughs) And that's why this next part's really important because you are utterly adopted if you were brought into union with Jesus, but the, the inheritance, the first thing mentioned in your inheritance is suffering. Sweet. Like, that you're united to Jesus to live the way of Jesus the way of Jesus did the way that d- Jesus did and one of the things he was constantly doing was walking intentionally into the intersection of hope and brokenness in the world like he's catching someone who's just been caught in adultery or he's walking up to someone who's been fumbling their way through life blind or he's coming up on a group of people that are hungry or coming up on and he's confronting that brokenness and he's suffering with them like the, the, the one of the most iconic moments of Jesus's life is before he goes to the cross he's praying to God the father let there be some other way that this can go down other than me going to the cross so I want to say we have an inheritance of glory that's coming we have the inheritance of being the adopted son or daughters of God but the way we're called to live now is to implement the victory of Jesus through suffering love And it's not always that, like, we're not masochists, we're not always trying to suffer, but we're willing to face the reality of the world and not back down and say, no, I'm going to suffer if I have to, to to communicate this love. I'm willing to endure some loss myself so that I can say to you, you can be adopted, you can be embraced, you can be free, you can be new, you can have enough to eat, you can see. We we can work on breaking this system of injustice. We can we can work on seeing this part of our city repaired. And it's difficult. and It requires getting up early in the morning and having sore hands. This woman Jackie Polinger, who's worked in in uh, in, the, in these uh, drug addicted communities in Hong Kong for the last like half century, she was saying Jesus wants you to have soft heart and hard feet. <laughs> As part of the calling of of our inheritance of suffering, it's 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 not just that we're like hanging on for heaven and not doing any of the fun stuff. It's like actually we've come to live a free and abundant life. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. We are free and adopted sons and daughters of God. And because of that, we're capable of walking into real pain and sitting there and saying, I I see you, I love you, I hold you, I embrace you, I give generously to you. We have an inheritance, and it is of suffering. It is to experience the brokenness of this world without losing hope in the goodness of God. That's one of our callings of, of suffering. It's part of our inheritance, to experience the brokenness of this world without losing hope in the goodness of God. It means to stand at the intersection of real life. Like last week at Pentecost, I was praying for folks, and th- this has happened to me so many times. I, I, I don't say this with any pride, but a few people, I know the situations in their life. and it was like pulling someone like seeing someone pulled up from drowning. And they're sputtering and their eyes are rolling and they just come back into focus and they're getting breath for the first time and they're drenched and they don't know, they're just oriented, and you're just like there just holding them for a second while they come back. and re- like, That's what, in a few people, that's what it's like the spirit was doing. They're worshiping God and in the brokenness of their life and like, what am I gonna do? And, and, and our calling as a church is to be in that intersection and to hold them because we've been held and say, you're gonna be okay. Hey, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna gonna make it. You're gonna live. It's gonna get easier. You're gonna change. Resurrection is possible. You can be different. You can grow. You're a son or daughter of God. It's to experience the suffering that's our inheritance is to experience a life of love for God and for others in the midst of profound resistance. Because you have internal resistance, and so does everyone else. The world has a system of resistance, and there's actual spiritual resistance. There's an accuser out there who's trying to tear down your faith. That resistance means suffering. It's part of our inheritance to say, love anyway, hope anyway, faith anyway. Life, anyway, yeah, we see the death, and it might come to our house, but we are not going to stop saying resurrection. We're not going to stop saying life. We're not going to stop saying hope. We're not going to stop holding people who've just sputtered back to life, who the spirit has brought life to their mortal bodies in union with Jesus. Because if we suffer with Him, we'll also be glorified with Him. And what does that mean? Glory in the New Testament, one of the simplest way to understand it is it's a place where God is revealed. What's it mean for God to be glorified? It means for God to be revealed. Glory's not something we have to add to God. He's like, I had no glory till you sang those praise songs, now I have it. No, he always had glory. In singing the praise songs, we're celebrating who he is. We're like coming into awareness and acknowledgement of who God is. So that's what it is to glorify God, is to say, God, we see you. And he's like, I see you. And my spirit testifies with your spirit to are mine. Awesome. We suffer with him that we might be glorified with him. So in those places of pain, in those places of agony in our world, the Spirit is empowering us to say, God's being revealed here in a little way. You're getting a glimpse over here, right? This church is an outpost of the glory of God in the brokenness of the world, not because we're like the, the good ones, but because we're the, the healed and repaired ones who are needing to be healed and repaired every single day. And as long as we can keep that in mind, we should be able to walk in humility. But this isn't us, it's God, <laughs> But we're in to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's poured out. It's this mysterious, incredible thing. Everyone's there and they're like, are they drunk? I don't know, I've never seen anything like this. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. What's happening? Well, people are being brought to new life. People are entering a, a process of change that will work their entire life and beyond. People are experiencing that they're adopted and people are walking into their inheritance. And it's not just like everything's glorious. It's like there's suffering, but we love anyway. And then God is revealed and that's God's glory. And that's what the Holy Spirit does at least. And I want you to know that Holy Spirit is for you. And in this Pentecost season, right, the reason we go through the seasons every year, like we need to remember incarnation every Advent. We need to remember the the, the fasting and and self-reflection of Jesus at Lent. We need to remember resurrection, right? Of course, all through, but like we have these pivotal times in the church here where we need to say again, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I've been filled with your spirit, so fill me with your spirit. And that's that's our Pentecost prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Fill me with this new life, with this change, with my adoption, with my inheritance. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for celebrating this this exact reality in Ben and Andrea just a few moments ago and the baptism with water, but will you also baptize us with your Holy Spirit? I pray in the name of Jesus that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this people with your life, that you would change us, that you would let us know how that we are adopted, (laughs) that you would show us a glimpse of our inheritance with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.